Well, it's me. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Woo. Yes, uh, Pastor Sean is well into his preaching sabbatical, so it's great that he's been able to take a little break from preaching at least and get some uh, much-needed projects done around here, and so uh, it's been good. And we've had a, a busy, well, a busy six months, but a, a busy like couple weeks here, uh, for us anyway and, and our family. We went off to, to youth camp, and uh, Chelsea and I and, and Jaden, we went off to youth camp there, and and I was thinking about the sermon that was coming up, and it was in the back of my mind. And then we got back home on Friday and had church Sunday, and then we left to go on a family vacation to go see Chelsea's family for a week in Pennsylvania. So the sermon was on the back of my mind <laughs> as we were there. In the, and uh, so it was great. I've never had sermon prep while playing pickleball and then going ski, you know, water skiing, and then go. So it's been a good, a good week, but uh, a little bit crammed as far as preparation goes. Um, so uh, we are into week three here of our, our Building Blocks of Life series where uh, we've been doing a, a deep dive into just one verse. I mean, just think about it. If we did this all the time, we'd take four weeks to go over one verse in the Bible, just how well we would know each little verse here. Um, so yes, not a thing that we normally do, go through one verse for a whole month, but we're doing it here. We're in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're looking at chapter 1, Verse 30. So we're going to be back there again today. And this is where Paul is pointing out the solutions to all of life's issues. He's saying, is there foolishness uh, or is there darkness? Then Jesus is our wisdom. Remember that? Pastor Richard took us through how Jesus is our wisdom. Uh, is there guilt or is there shame? Jesus is our righteousness. And so let's review here again what Paul says uh, starting in verse 26. We're going to back up a little bit. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And here's our verse here this morning. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is because of him, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Last week, uh, Pastor Richard, we, he, he walked us through how Jesus was our, our righteousness. When we are in Christ, God no longer sees our sin, but he sees the, the righteousness of Jesus covering us. So we are, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we're giving a, a right standing with God. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how Christ is our holiness, all right? That's where we are this morning. Or as other translations have it, maybe in your, your Bible, it says our sanctification, okay? So we're going to use those words synonymously together. Christ is our holiness. Christ is our sanctification. Now, what do we mean by that? What is, what is holiness? 
When we say that God is holy, it means he is the only being with his distinctive character and power. He is utterly unique. There's no one like him. No one like him. He is holy God. And a helpful way to think about this is um, by using the, the sun as a, as a metaphor. The sun is unique in our solar system, right? It is unique. It is the source of sustaining life on our planet. And it's really powerful. So you could say that the sun is holy. And to take it even further, you could say that the whole area around the sun is holy as well. Because the closer that you get to the sun, uh, the more intense it gets, right? But that same power, that same goodness that generates life on earth here is also dangerous, right? If you were to pay uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX a lot of money and go take a tour to the sun, what would happen? <laughs> You'd be annihilated, right? You'd be incinerated. Don't take a tour to the sun. Similarly, there's a, there's a paradox to God's holiness, right? If you are impure, his holiness is dangerous to you. Not because it's bad, but because it's so good. It's so good. And the first time that we see this in play here in the Bible is when uh, Moses encounters the Lord at, at the burning bush, right? God declared to Moses that the ground around that burning bush was holy. And he commanded Moses to, to remove his sandals. Basically, he said, say, he said, Moses, don't come any closer. You can't handle my holiness. And Moses did what? He, he covered his face in fear. The prophet Isaiah repeatedly calls God the Holy One of Israel, which isn't surprising. I mean, do we remember Isaiah's encounter in the stunning vision that he had there in Isaiah chapter 6, right? Of the Lord, he's on his throne and he's surrounded by these angelic beings and they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the repetition of that word holy emphasizes just its utter identification with the holy living God. God just isn't holy. Remember we heard uh, Pastor Chuck tell us that uh, during revival. He said God just isn't, his, isn't just holy. God is holy, holy, holy. The Lord is supremely holy. It's a characteristic of, of who he is. God's holiness sets him apart as distinct and pure and morally perfect. But he also calls his people to be holy as he is holy. As Moses and the, the Israelites were standing there at the, the foot of Mount Sinai, the Lord declared this in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. He says, I am the Lord your God. So consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground, meaning they were given these rules and guidelines of what they should eat to keep themselves pure and clean. And if they did those things, they would be impure. So he says, don't make yourselves unclean by these creatures that move along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And so when God established Israel, he, his intention was that they would be a, a holy nation, specially devoted to him. They would be his treasured 
possession. They would be set apart among all the other nations and they were to consecrate themselves. They were to, be, they were to, to make themselves pure, to set themselves apart from sin and holy unto the Lord. And so honoring God's holiness was very, uh, it was of supreme importance there in Israelite worship. There was a, a standard of moral purity and righteousness that the people were to live by. And it kind of encompassed living in, a, in accordance with God's commands, walking in obedience to his word, adhering to his, his standards of right and wrong. And those who didn't respect God's holiness, they, you can read through the Old Testament, they suffered severe punishment, right? They took the SpaceX tour to the sun and they got burned, <laughs> right? For instance, the, the high priest uh, Aaron's, uh, Moses' brother Aaron, his two sons, Nadab and, and Abihu, they ignored God's boundaries for worship and they burned uh, incense uh, that was used there for worship in the tabernacle. They burned it without permission. They worshiped God, not according to his commands, but they, they worshiped him in their own way, in their own desire, in their own form. They ignored God's holy standard and his ways. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read, it says, uh, Nadab and Abihu offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came f- out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses reminded Aaron what the Lord had said. He's like, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Among those who approach me, says the Lord, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And so we look through the Old Testament here, and we can kind of see God's holiness. Uh, It's a little alarming, isn't it? It's alarming. Sinful compromised humanity stands before a totally righteous, holy God who declares, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And Jesus, even in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he insists, we look through the New Testament and it's not any better for us. (laughs) He insists, what? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So pursuing this, this holy standard seems kind of daunting, doesn't it? It seems unthinkable for natural fallen humans. As we look at the world around us, we can't deny the, the brokenness that saturates our, our culture and our communities. It was heartbreaking to just hear some of those testimonies at our, our youth camp um, from a lot of these kids who were invited by their friends, uh, they aren't church, they're coming and they hear about Jesus for the first time and they're just amazed by how, how Jesus can, can heal the brokenness and they would share about all the, the brokenness of the world that they're coming out of and turning to Christ. Um, but yeah, just it's uh, heartbreaking. To, we can see it, right? All around, all around us, uh, everywhere that we, that we are. We're plagued by our own sinfulness, and the consequences of a, of a fallen world. All have sinned, the Bible says, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When someone is enslaved to sin, the concept of holiness seems unattainable. It seems distant and far off. We stand before God in need of sanctification. We need to be made holy. And without it, we're separated 
from God's holy presence. He can, his, his holiness is so great. He cannot be where uh, impure sin abounds. And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're given a glimmer of hope. We always start with the bad news and we get to the good news, right? We're given a glimmer of hope here in 1 Corinthians 1. It's a reminder that our holiness is not reliant on our own efforts. It's not up to us to muster up enough holiness to get good enough to where God will accept us. It's not on our own efforts, but it's on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I want to take a moment to look at a couple aspects of Christ's holiness in us, all right? So if you're taking notes, our, our number one thing here, aspect of Christ's holiness is Christ's holiness is positional, okay? There is a positional holiness that Jesus gives to us. His holiness affects our position before him. Christ makes me holy before God. And if we go back and we revisit uh, Isaiah there in the Lord's temple in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the holiness of God and what is his reaction? Oh, great. No, his reaction is, I am doomed, right? I am doomed. I, I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim comes flying over. Flappy, flappy, flappy. <laughs> he comes over to Isaiah and he's got a burning coal with him. And, and I'm wondering if Isaiah's like, what's he going to do with that burning coal? And he touches his lips with it, right? The burning coal touches the lips there of Isaiah. And he says, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So this burning coal makes Isaiah pure, which is remarkable because normally it's opposite, right? When you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity over to you, right? So if you touch like some little four-year-old sneezes and opens the door and then you touch the doorknob, what happens? You make the doorknob all clean? No. Children are the worst. No, just kidding. <laughs> all that nastiness is now on your hand and you are doomed to have a cold, right? But this is the opposite, right? The coal touches Isaiah and rather than Isaiah's filthy lips that he just talked about make the, the coal impure, no, the coal made him pure. It transferred its purity to him. So Isaiah isn't destroyed by God's holiness. He's made pure by it. And this is how Jesus went about his earthly ministry, right? I remember we had a, a sermon series that Pastor Sean uh, led us through where all these pictures in, in the Gospels where Jesus touched somebody who was sick or lame and how it restored them, right? He, he touched impure lepers and they were made clean. He touched blind eyes and they were made whole again. His holiness works the same way. When you come to Christ in faith, you are made holy. Look at verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. That's a backward way of saying that, of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 10. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Okay? God's will was for us to be made holy by Christ's sacrifice for us. So in his infinite love and mercy, Christ willingly offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And through his atoning death on the cross, 
He accomplished not only our, our justification, right? We're justified by Christ's blood. We are made just. We are made in right standing with God. But also our sanctification. It is through the, the shed blood of Christ that we are made holy now. That we can be set apart for God's purposes. His blood shed for you on the cross cleanses you. And you are made a new creation in Christ. And Jesus' holiness, just like that coal, it's transferred over to you, and you are made pure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And so Paul reminds us that uh, our holiness in Christ is a result of, of God's grace. Just as we couldn't earn the, the right standing with God by doing things for him and Jesus became our righteousness, so too we cannot earn or, or make ourselves holy by our own efforts. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. That's what our, our verse says. You're, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us holiness. And that same Jesus who, who called for us to be perfect as God is perfect. He set that standard. But he died to make his people holy and perfect in God's sight. Colossians 1.21 we read, You were his enemies. You were God's enemies. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result... He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Amen. There is a positional holiness in Christ. You are declared holy when you come to him in faith. You are sanctified when you come to Christ. All right, so not only is, is Christ's uh, holiness positional, but here's our next aspect here. It's not only positional, but it's also transformative, all right? Christ's holiness is transformative. We've heard Pastor Sean over the past several months, it, it comes up here and now here, uh, talking about how we are living in the already but not yet. You remember that when he said that? We're living in the already but not yet as believers. We are already saved, but we are still awaiting our final salvation when Christ returns. The kingdom of God has already arrived when Christ came to earth. And we celebrate that at, at Christmas, right? At the incarnation. It's already arrived, but we are awaiting the culmination of his kingdom on earth when he comes again. We are already sanctified. We are already made holy in Christ, but we are still in the process of becoming holy as he is holy separated from sin, refusing to compromise with, with the forces of sin, right? The world and the flesh and the devil. Just because you are uh, in Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, it does not mean that you have totally uh, arrived and are living a totally perfect, sinless life in all of your thoughts and actions, right? There is a transforming process for those in Christ where they are conformed into the image of Christ, how does that happen? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about how, you know, we used to have this veil over our minds that kept us from understanding 
God and his wisdom and his ways. But then in verse 16, he says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil that was there is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So this transformation happens through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. He, his task is to make us more and more like Jesus as we grow in holiness and as we grow in spiritual maturity, all right? Holiness isn't just about moral purity, right? It's, it encompasses the, the entirety of a, of a person's self and a person's being. Holiness is about aligning our thoughts and actions and relationships with the, the character of God. That's what holiness is about. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us, turning our affections toward Christ. He's making it possible for us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus as we abide in him. Jesus is the, the vine, right? Remember Jesus talked about that? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He is the source of our holiness. And as we are stuck in him, as we abide in him, the Holy Spirit works within us to, to conform us to the image of Christ. And then he empowers us to live out the holiness that we have already received in Christ. And so through the, the Spirit's presence, through the Spirit's power, we are continually transformed into the image of Christ and enabled to live victoriously over sin, walking in newness of life. It's the Spirit that's at work within us. But we do have a part to play, right? We have to be a, a partner in this transforming process. Hear what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.20 says, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul saying here, I live my life trusting Christ that his way is better than my old ways and desires. It's my, my old self has been crucified with him and I've been raised a new life in him. So I, I live trusting in him. His ways are better than mine. Our cooperation in Christ's holiness then for us and in us involves offering ourselves as, as living sacrifices, right? Presenting our bodies as, as instruments of righteousness, allowing the Lord to renew our minds as we spend time with him, as we know him, as we get to love him more and more. This is our true worship which says in, in Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not just about singing on Sunday morning, is it? It's about all of life living as a sacrifice to the Lord. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the process of sanctification then, of, of being made holy, it's this lifelong process. And we're going to periodically still stumble, right? But because we're, we're still at war with our, our sin nature that's still there. But if you think about it like 
learning how to ice skate. I don't know if, does North Carolina have ice skate? <laughs> like the, the, the rivers don't really freeze here, do they? But if you did go to an indoor ice skating rink and learned how to ice skate, uh, the first time someone tries to, to do that, right? They learn how to ice skate and they're kind of wobbly on there and, and they're falling quite a bit. But the more that they do it, the more that they're getting the hang of it, they skate more and more. There's more time in between the little stumbles and falls, isn't there? And then, I guess if they become an Olympic skater, there's barely any time between falls, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of time that they have before they stumble. So the same way, when we first come to Christ, we're still learning what it means to, to follow him. And we kind of often stumble into our old ways. We stumble into sin. But the more that we pursue God, the more that we pursue holiness and, and fix our eyes on Jesus and treasure him, uh, the more that we are allowing the, the Holy Spirit to, to transform us into the image of Christ. And the Spirit doesn't just work on like our bad behaviors. Like, all right, you know you got this problem over here. Let's work on that. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He, his work is to, to make us admire Jesus Christ so much that our old sinful habits feel foreign and they feel distasteful. They're not pleasurable anymore. That's how he conforms us into the image of of the sun. He's purifying. He's refining us into this perfect holy image of God the Son. Imagine a, a potter in his pottery studio. And he, what, do they, what do they do? They take like this lump of wet clay, right? And they put it on the wheel and it's spinning around and he, and he begins to shape it on the wheel as it's spinning. And his skilled hands mold the clay, up, applying the, the gentle pressure, right? Refining the shape and he carefully removes any imperfections. And he's ensuring that this vessel is symmetrical and free from, from blemishes. And that's how God is at work in us, sanctifying us in Christ. He's the potter. We are that lumpy little clay lump, right? When we first come to Christ, we are like that formless lump of clay. And God in his grace takes hold of our lives, right? And he, and he begins to shape us according to his perfect design. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, he applies his gentle pressure, molding, transforming us into these holy vessels for his purpose. And just as the, the potter's hands refine the clay, removing any impurities, they, they smooth it out. And sometimes they kind of have to redo a part and make it better. Uh, God is refining us, removing the, the sins and the habits and the attitudes that hinder our spiritual growth. He exposes areas of our lives that need his transformative touch. And he brings us into alignment with his character and with his will. And so the, as the potter is making this vessel, his, his goal is to make it both functional and beautiful, right? God's goal in our lives is to shape us into vessels that reflect his glory and also can be used by him for his his purposes, his desire is to perfect us. Not in the sense of being totally sinless, right? But in the sense of being just fully surrendered, fully surrendered to his will and, and living in and loving obedience to him. That's the goal. He shapes us day by day in this ongoing process of, of sanctification. And it requires our, our cooperation. It requires, requires our submission 
to his work in us. And, you know, as I was um, thinking about this, uh, this topic here, I was reminded of the hymn by Adelaide Pollard, I believe is who wrote it, um, Have Thine Own Way. Do you remember that hymn? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Right? That's our response. That's our response to a loving God who gave himself up, even to death on a cross, that we might be made holy. Mold me, Lord. Make me after your will, Lord. Make me a perfect vessel for your use and glory. So remember, our perfection is not holy, it, our perfection in holiness, not a, a state of, of flawlessness, but it's a, a continual journey of surrender. It's a continual journey of just being willing to be molded and refined by the master potter. The more we know God, the more that we grow in our love for him, the more that we're going to see just kind of how far we still have to go, right? It's a journey of, of spiritual growth. And so I want to ask you, church, will you trust Christ who loved you, who gave himself up for you, that he is better than, than the desires of your old self and the desires that this world has to offer? Will you allow him to shape you into the beautiful vessel that he desires for you to be, to be used for his glory? That's the, the question for today. Will you allow him, will you submit to his shaping in your life. And as I was kind of dwelling on these truths yesterday, as I was kind of tying some things up here for this message, um, a song came to my heart and uh, I wrote a song and uh, I wrote the words and, and the music and they came surprisingly quickly. And uh, it was one of those that kind of came together in like 30 minutes or less, which is doesn't happen very often. Uh, usually songwriting is kind of hard for me, and it take, it, but sometimes it just flows out, and this was one of those. Um, and it's called Holiness is Christ and Me, and I, I kind of crafted it around that line from the Matt Maher song, Lord, I Need You, right? We sing, holiness is Christ in me, Lord, I need you, right? Holiness is Christ in me, and so I love that line, and we're going to sing that song as we close later on, but I wanted to just share this song with you because I feel like I always remember things better when it's set to music. And I don't know if that's just me as a musical person, but uh, I took each kind of point of the, I'm going to make my way over here. I took a, a point, each point of the sermon, and I uh, crafted a verse out of it. And so I wanted this to be a kind of summary uh, that could help us to remember this message. And so um, you can follow along. I have the words up on the the screen here, but this song is called Holiness is Christ in Me. Holiness is Christ in me. His righteousness, my legacy. And by his blood, I am set free life within my victory in Christ alone 
His grace and truth redo my heart and mind. He is my strength, defender by my side. In Him I'm washed, made pure and sanctified. I was in darkness, shackled by my sin. Through Christ's redemption,
Amen. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for allowing me to share that with, with all of you. Um, Jesus Christ is our holiness. We can't attain it on our own. Through his work on the cross, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are empowered to pursue a life of holiness. And so I pray, church, that this truth would shatter our self-reliance. That seems to be kind of my go-to. When, when things are kind of crazy, I just like, I can just get through this myself, rely on myself. But no, we need to have it shatter our self-reliance, open our hearts to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite uh, the worship team to come on up with me. We're going to close our time together. But my prayer for us today is that we would all continually surrender ourselves to Christ, allowing his holiness to, to permeate every aspect of our lives to transform us into his image. And as we pursue holiness, I pray that we would be a living testimony to those around us, to the transforming power of Christ in us. And we pray that his holy love would, would shine through our lives for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just all that you do for us. Thank you, Lord, that is not up to us to pursue holiness, to make ourselves right with you, Lord. It is Christ in me. And so, Lord, we thank you for that truth. We pray that we would no longer live our lives relying in our own merit, in our own efforts. Our, our greatest works that we can do are, are like filthy rags to you, Lord. And so we thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in us and shaping us and refining us, making us pure, making us holy as you are holy. And so, Lord, we ask that each and every day that we would turn to you, Lord. We would turn to you and say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Fill me with your holiness. Make me clean. Make me pure as you are. Holiness is Christ in me. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.